The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Hey, y'all. Thanks for joining us today. This is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul. You're listening to Society Bites Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer, along with my bride, Sherry. And for the next 25 minutes, we're going to talk about healing and growth from the inside out. Remember, you're 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being. So the last couple segments, Sherry, we've been kind of heavy on the victim trap and well, the drama triangle is kind of what it is, right? The being a victim, being a persecutor and a rescuer. And trying to one, not ever get trapped into those roles or recognizing when we do slip into them, get more steered towards our authentic self. I mean, it's the name of this show is authentically you, but today we're really going to talk about what is our false self and our true self and victim trap is um, clearly the role of false self. But how do we get more steered towards our true self? And it can happen. We can slip away from our true selves by even the trigger of a word, one simple word that somebody else says in a conversation that we get triggered away from what is truth. Right. Um, And so you recently were coaching a family and... um, this is one of those keywords that can trip people up and trip ourselves up when we hear them. But people use absolutes in a statement like always, you always do this or you never do this. It's, it's immediately. There's that- a little bit of personality or personal thing going on, Sherry. I'm just saying I can sense this. Well, it is like when somebody throws one of those at you, it is an invitation to one become a victim, well, or could, could we just flip say, to persecutor. Not, really, that's quick. not a general term. Not everybody, not everybody goes to a flip because of an absolute she used. Only a certain segment of society. <laughs> I happen to be looking at one. <laughs> this, this has been a 37-year battle. I'm going to practice using more absolutes on you and see how you like them, honey. Yeah, but I, anyway. I don't think you can. I don't think you can do it <laughs> I if know, you try. I can't. I can't because I'm too anal on being factual and I won't say always or never. I'll give you a percentage. 
to the hundredth place value. Yes, I know. I know. So will your it's father. a problem. It's a problem. So this I is know. what happened. So I was just chatting. It it's actually was a fun little conversation. Yeah. We were talking about uh, marketing. So where there wasn't anything big. They were just kind of kicking around ideas. And the son said to the father something to the effect that when you did X and Y, we never got any leads. So in their family business of doing marketing, right. we never got leads from this attempt yeah. at marketing. Yeah. And then the son was trying to explain that when they switched it to something. And I don't remember if it was his idea or someone else's idea because mm -hmm. it wasn't important. Um, then we started getting leads and father stopped cold turkey. You could see an immediate uh, it went to fight or fight. I, I can feel the father's pain because in his mind, he's calculating, wait, we got three leads out of those 1,000 attempts. That so that's not never. Number. Oh, that no way. A, yeah, no way. That was the number if I remember. <laughs> he says, that's not true. <laughs> we got three. It wasn't never. And so he was pretty upset. He said some things that were, weren't very nice, but it was very controlled. But you can see his whole body change. It was a morph. So when someone goes into fight or flight, um, there's an electrical, yeah. uh, there's a, a chemical change. Mm -hmm. And so he was just a rush. Well, the other siblings. And what he was doing is that he was going into a defensive position, truly, which is a victim role. He's feeling beat up by the word never. So let me make sure I got this right. Because I can feel this. In pain. all those years that <laughs> I would say absolutes, you were playing the role of a victim. It, it really felt like you were a persecutor. Well, and the, see, and that's the beauty of those roles is that the beauty. I love the one word. is the persecutor that feels like the victim because it justifies the reason to go out and persecute. Amen. You are all over my case. So, and then that's and that's what happens when we take the defensive side, and so this was. The, I love this example because these kinds of things happen in conversations at work. They happen anywhere, friends, family, they happen all the time. And one of those little triggers is using absolutes mm -hmm. and then realizing, oh, the prediction error that comes out of it, that sends you into a victim or persecutor role. Yeah, so you use really, some really fun words in there. So let's go in. You use prediction error. The prediction error is, remember, is you're using yesterday's experiences mm -hmm. to predict what will happen tomorrow in a negative bias. Yep, it's a negative bias. Right, so... Um, we're not living in the now. So in the moment when it happened, um, the whole room shut down because the son then went into a defensive mode and tried to backtrack to explain what he really meant. Mm -hmm. The word slipped on him. Well, both parties have to go into defense, which means... Well, because the one, the one went out. into an offensive. So when he flipped... When the dad flipped. But I'm telling you what he thought he did. It looked offensive to all of you. But what he thought he did, he was defending the position that never was not correct. See what I'm saying? He actually, in his mind. Yeah, I, I'm with you, girl. Was in defense. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you guys could see her. She, she is animated, making sure that I know that when she was really talking to me as a persecutor, what she was really doing was just defending her territory. <laughs> I can feel the father's pain in okay. the story. I can feel the son's. Yeah. So it slipped out and the son said, I'm sorry. That's not what I meant. Right. But it wasn't enough because the dad was already flooded. Mm. Right. So the dad continued his, um, his little monologue for a moment. And the other two siblings just cow down. They just turned their heads away from dad. Isn't that interesting? Put their heads down. 
Um, and then, uh, and then they chatted with me. He had to go grab something. They chatted with me afterwards. And so when it came back, this is maybe 15 minutes later, everything had calmed down, which was a, a real um, compliment of the father. Uh -huh. He processed that really quick and he was done. Mm -hmm. It was over. I thought, that's impressive. I wish I had his ability. But I brought it back up. I said, okay, let's go back to what just happened and let's address the story. So I did an empathy thing with them. So I said, dad, I want you to explain to me what your son was saying from his perspective only. And so as the dad started doing it, he, as he started explaining it, he quickly waxed into defending his position again. I said, oh, no, hold on a second, which speaks to what you were saying. They are really trying to defend the reality of that the statistic is wrong. And your, your, um, what your argument is, is that it's an erroneous use of the word. Right. It's a communication error that can send somebody into the victim trap. Right. So as we go to true self and false self, this is what's happening. Yes. In that moment, when, that, uh, when the anxiety jumped up and prediction error was everywhere, our subconscious is designed to protect ourselves. And in the protection process, we will op oftentimes be dysfunctional about it or maladaptive. And when we act that way, it's in a fight or flight moment, so we're flipped. We're acting in a manner that is not conducive to get what we actually want. What the father and the son both wanted was to improve marketing numbers and have a dialogue about it. That's called conflict. You have the same goal, but sometimes you see a different way to get there. But what happens when you move into contention, it's all about who is right, not what is right. And then it becomes collusionary. Collusion is a word we used in the past. A collusionary behavior is getting you the exact opposite thing that you want. What the dad wanted was to increase marketing numbers. What the son wanted was to increase marketing numbers. But when the son said never, he moved into a contentious position without even knowing it. Right. Because he sparked uh, an emotion from the father. And when the father responded or reacted, predictionary, to the son, he moved into collusion and contention and went back at the son. And then when the, the dad came at the dad, the son had to defend himself. Sure. And then, and then you've got victim and persecutor roles going, you know. Right. You might as well hand them victim and persecutor Harry Potter wands yep. and they're throwing spells at each other. That's that's how I picture it. It's that's like, kind like of what was we're going spewing on. out <clears throat> things because we think we're defending and what we're doing is getting drawn into this really immobilizing trap. That's well said. It shuts down it communication. It shuts down progress. And it shuts down intimacy, emotional intimacy, mm -hmm. trust and respect or compromise. Well, and not just for the father and son, because you said the others in the room who Two are more family siblings in the room were shut down. And, and the witnesses of that are affected. And they, and, I, I bet you anything that what they were feeling was very heavy. In a family, the witnesses, that's other siblings, they're going to take on that one and work co-workers, yep. direct reports, even supervisors. And so a whole bunch of people get shifted into what I would say is not their true selves, not their authentic selves, and not their productive selves because of one word. Ooh. <laughs> Let it go. I know. <laughs> Just kidding. So the, what we're getting to is that the true self, the father's true self, was one of love, compassion, and empathy. Uh -huh. So when we did this exercise, I said, okay, Dad, 
um, go ahead and share with us what the son was trying to say. And as he explained it to him, you could see the dad really getting into that story. Then he slipped and went into defense. And I said, no, let's, let's just go back to what your son's perspective was. And so he went back to the son's perspective. And then I went to the son and I said, did he get it right? And the son said, almost. I said, okay, what's he missing? And then the son filled in the, the missing piece. And I said, okay, dad, what did the son just say? And then the dad reflected back again through the perspective of the son, what he just said. And I said, did he get that right? He said, yeah, that's it. The entire temperature of the room changed because of empathy, because they were seeking to understand each other. We all of a sudden changed from a false self, a defense mechanism, into an inviting self and a very understanding mechanism. And then we reversed roles. The son had to explain it through the dad. And I said, okay, now, dad, if you had a chance to do it over again right now, how would you do it? And then the dad said, and we did what's called the conversation inventory. I don't think we've done that on the show. Mm. Um, it's what I used have. to call elephant delegate, which someone has doesn't like too much. And I'm looking at I like, I like you. conversation inventory. Yeah, yeah, I know. So anyway, so we call it conversation inventory. In other words, the dad said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> in other words, the dad was pointing out the elephant in the room, which uh -huh. was the word. The word. The word never. And so. In, in a reframe or a, um, a retake, he simply said, you know what I could have done is I could have said, son, you used the word never. Now, is that an accurate description? Because it, it, in my memory, it wasn't. How do you see it? And the son right then, with just like it was cute, he goes, yeah, your dad, dad, you're right. It wasn't never. I know that now, but I shouldn't have used the word. And then I stopped real quick and I said, and that means the rest of the conversation never happened. We don't have to go back and then argue about every nuance of the argument because right. it would never have happened had one person done a conversation inventory. And then I reversed it and said, okay, son, dad just jumped down your throat. Well, and <laughs> what, what do you do? And what the dad did, and I love this because it's one of my favorite tools or modes, is a clarifying question to what's being said. I'll just let that sit. <laughs> A lot of energy going on. <laughs> right Some people don't like clarifying questions because they feel like it's an you know, attack or a disruption from their stream of consciousness. Oh, that is true. But in the person who's trying to really truly understand in the moment to ask a clarifying question, don't jump to the prediction that they're trying to derail you, but that they're trying to keep it on track. Yeah. So let's go back to the person asking the clarifying question. There is a mode to doing it, and there is a way to be neutral, and there's a way to be biased. If the question truly is to seek understanding without a bias, then it's easier for the one who's, who's a little worked up, who used the absolute, to gather the him or herself and say, oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't mean it that yeah. way. But if the question is done at more of an accusatory, see, you shouldn't have said that, what you did was wrong, that's going to be a bias, and that will actually inflame the person that used the absolute, because they'll go into a defensive right. mode. That's why it seems that, it feels as though, or what I heard you say was never, it seems that's not the way it was. Do you remember exactly what it was, or can you help me understand right. that? That's a much more neutral approach to diffuse the absolute. So the takeaway is really that 
in that moment, you holding on to neutrality can be very challenging. Yeah. And yet it's the on both focus. Sides. On both sides, it's the right. focus. And the neutrality is the true self. The false self is going into fight or flight. Yeah. And so what we're trying to do is to understand how do we then get to that position of finding our authentic self? And here, um, I want to talk a little bit about the identity circle. Okay. What is Let's who, who is your authentic self? So I think it was two or three segments ago. We we did a maybe it's longer. We did the mindfulness, if you remember, mm -hmm. and we talked about habit stacking. So in the mindfulness process, and I'm going to do this from the perspective of believing in God, because both of us have a, a strong belief that there's a God. My true self, as I understand it, is how God actually sees me. So we talked about stress and anxiety, right? From our perspective, God lives in one eternal now. He lives in present. When we get in a car accident, we live in an, one now. It happens slow motion because we're heavily focused on what's happening. When I talk to my mom, there is no now. She's not even present for me. She's either in yesterday or tomorrow. And it's hard to get a dialogue going with someone who's not in the now. Hmm. When you're your false self, you're not in the now. You're either in yesterday or predicting tomorrow. So you're not in the present. Your best self is how God sees you. And this is how God sees me. He sees me as calm. He sees me as relaxed. He sees me as having great value. I am of worth. That's my identity. That's who Richard is. Every relationship I have is based on trust and respect, starting with the fact that I trust and I respect myself. If I trust and respect me, the probability of reciprocity is in the 94 to 95% range. So my authentic self is someone who has value, someone who trusts and respects himself, and someone who's willing to take responsibility for his own happiness, joy, and well-being. Okay, that's my true self. When I flip, when I move to a fight-or-flight mode, I'm no longer in the now. I'm no longer my true self. So when I went into my man cave, when my stomach would churn and mm -hmm. I would get frustrated because my lovely bride was persecuting me <laughs> for reasons that are not logical or reasonable. And she had no clue. And she had no clue, right? So these self-induced persecutions coming mm -hmm. from you, your boots hurt. I don't need her. Um, that means I've left my fault, my true self, and I've gone to my false self. And I'm telling myself stories that are not true. And they would be about you. They'd be about me. And I would argue that they're about you, that these stories are true, but that has nothing to do with it. Remember, we talked about how to get underneath the blame point and get to the it's about me. I'm and then you finish it. OK, so how then do we get there? How do we get to that point that we can find that authentic self, that true self? So we've talked about the role of God. We've talked about our best self. In the last, not the last one, but some segments ago, we talked about habit stacking, the mindfulness. So this is what I do with every client. So I'm going to kind of walk through again so people can remember how to do this. First of all, it starts with the identity. If you believe that you have worth, then that's important for you to then say that to yourself, but not just an affirmation. Don't put it up on a wall. Don't put it in a motivational poster. 
It has to be done at a point where you're talking to your subconscious. And so in mindfulness, this is how we do it. Remember, we talked about taking this breathing, getting a deep breath in. The four in, the, the four, four in, holding. Hold it. And, and four is a relative term. <clears throat> I, I might have shared this. I have this client who's, it's a female, but talk about an engineer mind. She's all in her head. She'd been trying this for three weeks. Finally, she looked at me. She says, I can't do it. And I said, well, why is that? Meaning she says, the breathing with mindfulness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I said, why is that? She says, because I get stuck on the four. I start, I start counting four, and then I get stuck on four. Did that, was that four? Was that not four? Okay, now I have to do four on the other one. Oh. She gets stuck on the numbers. She gets stuck on the process of it. Right. That very and, engineer mind, very compartmentalized. I said, okay, forget numbers. Just take a deep breath in and hold it for a little bit. And then let it out slowly, really slowly through your mouth. Okay. <laughs> she goes, oh, I can do that. <laughs> That's hilarious. So we started doing it that way. So I would say, okay, hold your breath. Take a deep breath in, hold it, let it out slowly, and then take yourself to a nice, safe place. So habit stacking now. The habit stack is you're going to put this new habit of finding your authentic self onto a benign habit, something that you're already doing. So for those of you who go to work every day, turn the ignition on your car, sit back, and just close your eyes. For those of you who don't drive your car, go to work every day, when you brush your teeth, um, that'd be a good time. When you take a shower, um, whatever, or even if you go to the restroom, just take one minute of time, take a nice deep breath in, hold it for a moment, and as you release it, just picture yourself being in a very safe place. And as you do, imagine for a moment that you've brought your highest power into your space. To me, I'm bringing in my God. When I bring in my God, that allows me to bring in Richard Richard's best self. So I picture me coming into the space as God sees me. That's my best self. I have worth. I trust and respect myself and people that I talk to trust and respect me. So there's mutual trust. Then I just picture, imagine myself being that best self with all my clients today. And then I picture myself being my best self with my wife today. And I might not even see you today. But my thoughts, what I look at, how I talk, I'm my best self all day long as your husband. Then I'm my best self with my children. And I'm still raising my children, even though they're spread to all ends of the United States. I'm my best self with my grandchildren. Then I take a nice deep breath in. I open my eyes and I drive to work. Now, I do this a minimum of two times a day, to work and home from work. Here's why. If you practice doing this and your goal is to get 1% better per day, finding your authentic self, being a little bit stronger, a little bit more resilient, a little less reactive or what we call predictionary, and all you're doing is improving a little bit per day, your authentic self starts finding traction. By, by thinking it, by imagining it, by processing it, you create neurons. These neurons start firing. The more they fire, the more they wire. And you start having this little bit of strength coming inside called a lagging indicator. The lagging indicator means it's there. And by the time it surfaces, it's already brewed very strongly mm -hmm. inside. Yeah. You're not going to see results tomorrow. But you will eventually if you continue to develop that habit of finding your authentic self and moving into that practice of mindfulness. So we're 
We're just about out of time, Sherry. So what, what's your takeaway so far and how would you move to this direction? So we really dissected the false self and true self. And we talked about how we can lose our true self in the flip of a word in a conversation with the example of, of um, the family that we talked about. And, and I love that example because it is so real. It happens so quickly for us. But to get to our true self, using the mindfulness um, and recognizing the components of our true self defining what those are um, is valuable because now we're creating an identity and that identity is going to hold us and anchor us when we get a flip of a word in a conversation. We're going to be able to recover quickly or think more clearly rather than flipping and becoming flooded so quickly. And one of the reasons identity is so important is because you will always behave based upon what you believe about yourself. And identity is just nothing more than what you believe or your narrative. The narrative is a function of all the experiences that you've had. So in the previous segment, we talked a lot about family of origin, right? Yeah. So this family of origin process is are all the experiences that you had. So the Terry's of the world, right? He grew up following a child who had died, uh, a sibling who had passed away. So he believed about himself the way the environment conditioned him. Every one of us have that to some degree. And I did. And so my goal was to break free from the gravity of my family of origin and the beliefs I had about myself based on those experiences. So I started creating new experiences. And when I do mindfulness, I can create a different way of looking at life. The more I do it, the more I believe it. If I believe, and this is my belief system, when I identify myself this way, my behavior will naturally follow my beliefs. Results don't play a role. You don't start with results. You end with results. You start with identity. So if I see myself, my best self with you, for example, I can tolerate the idiosyncrasy that a single word can right. throw you completely out of your groove. And that's why I love that example, because those things happen every day. So thank you so much for listening. You are listening to Society Bites Radio. I'm Dr. Richard Himmer, and this has been my lovely bride, Sherry, helping me figure out why we've had such a dysfunctional time for some times based upon my inability to speak articulately. And I think we'll revisit this someday because <laughs> I think I've been doing a lot better, and I don't know that you agree. No, you have. No, no, no. That's, uh, that's old history for us. Oh, I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So remember, all resources are within you. Challenges that come your way are perfect, exactly what you need at that time to grow and come closer to integration. Perfect is a mistake that gets a retake. We'll see you in the next segment. Doubt is a broken record that plays inside my head. I try to turn it down, but I can't quite drown it out. I'm tortured every day, these never-ending worries, pulling on my sleeve, so many times now I was... The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. 
When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.